I watch film, but I'd be honest, I mean, when I first started watching film, I was just watching the game. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the UK Packers podcast. As usual, it's your host, at Steve the NFL. And as usual, of a Monday, I'm joined by my old buddy, my old pal, fellow co-founder of the UK Packers, at Ryan Peacock NFL. That's why his mama named them. Ryan, how are you? Uh, very good. Long, long day, but been looking forward to getting this getting this going. Oh, yes. We're stepping back in history again. So if people don't know what we're doing is, and again, it's not from a lack of content. It's more so myself and Ryan look back through the annals of history and could really find that and you know concise about the Packers if you search UK Pack or not you well if you search UK Packers history on YouTube the video's not there yet but it's come but if you search uh, Packers history on YouTube you know you don't really find a whole lot so what myself and Ryan are doing is is we're hosting a number of uh, podcasts uh, to go back in time pick a decade talk about the decade and kind of give you a, a rundown of how the Packers got on so Ryan uh, who are we looking at and when are we looking at on this podcast well, we've gone with the 1930s, obviously, um, and I think there's a number of uh, sort of fantastic players of that time, and many of the names as we go through them that uh, you know our listeners will recognise. Um, they obviously also did the three-peat end of you know uh, that, which was huge. And I think one of the things that I enjoyed looking through this is that when you look at the squad photos, for example, yeah. the squads look very small. There's like there's not a great there's not this sort of great you know 53 players that you have this day and you know, and the practice squad and all the rest of it. Most of these players are playing both ways on the football. Um, some players are playing offense, defense, and kicking and punting, and uh, they really are made to work for their money. Yeah, it was a weird era. I mean, it's smash mouth football. It's very physically demanding, like we spoke about on the last pod. Because again, uh, for all the listeners, this is the second in you know a multiple part series. The first one we looked at the inception of the Packers up until 1930 so again like you know as we said in the last part you raised it i think ryan that you know the the padding that the players had at you know back then was basically nothing you you know you'd be playing you'd be padded up like you know james jones-esque in a few extra hoodies um or jumpers you know and you'd be playing and you get you get seven shades beat Nettie on the field uh so these these players were undoubtedly tough so i guess if we're doing 1930 to 1940, let me kick it off and try to give you a feeling of, you know, how the Packers were getting on. So we've seen that pro football uh, back in these early days wasn't really taken that seriously. And we kind of alluded to in the last podcast as well, up until even the first Super Bowl, uh, you know, the, there was no footage of the Super Bowl because no, no one cared. And then when they did have footage of it, you know, the stations recorded over it with some, you know, trash TV show because, again, they didn't put a whole lot of stock into it. Uh, but again, it's important to us. So 1929, the Packers won uh, the championship. And again, as you say, they three-peated. So in 1930, they won the second of the three. Uh, so they won the first eight games of the season. And it was actually an unbeaten streak. I think they won 20, 23 games. Um, and the only one that they lost actually was to Chicago. Right? Now, not the Bears. There was two teams in Chicago at the time. There was the Chicago Cardinals. They lost to them uh, 13-6. And again, they'd beaten the Cardinals in the first game of the season, 14-0. And that's what we kind of, you know, from looking back at the time, that's what we we find back then. There was an awful lot of shutouts, especially for the Packers. In this season in particular, in 1930, they hit four shutouts, um, which is pretty incredible, Ryan, as, as you say. If players played both sides of the ball, you can't even say, oh, well, they had a really good defense and the offense was faltering. They were the same team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like I say, many of, many of these top, top players that are now in... Packers Hall of Fame, um, and in the you know in the Hall of Fame proper, they, most of these guys played both ways. 
Yeah, and I mean, the treepeat as well um, is the unbelievable part of, firstly, that the players play both sides of the ball, but also that they treepeat it because throughout NFL history, it's been, it stood as one of the hardest things to do. Only one team has done it and they've done it twice and that is the Packers. So they've done it in 1929, 30-31 and then again uh, famously in 65, 66 and 67. Now loads of teams have come close. In 1924 actually the Canton Bulldogs and this is the one and you know I, it's painful really because I think they did do it but it's not recognised. The Canton Bulldogs in 22 and 23 uh, won the championship and then they won it again in 24 but they weren't the Canton Bulldogs they were moved to Cleveland so they were the Cleveland Bulldogs so the NFL sees them as a different team so I think that's unfair I think they kind of did three-peat but in the interest of bias and being a Packers fan uh, the Packers are the only team to do it and if you look back Ryan through all the history of teams that you know came close the Bears came close in 1942 um, they were beaten in the title game by the Redskins they didn't do it 56 Cleveland Browns 1960 Baltimore Colts 1963 the Packers nearly did it again and 1974 the Dolphins and you know I can I can go on and on and on but basically to summarize that is incredibly hard to do but I think the fun part about this is from the very start uh, of this decade we come across some really really interesting characters one of which is a countryman of mine now again they call him an American but with a name like Johnny McNally uh, he certainly was uh, just an absolutely unbelievable character and you you kind of looked into him in depth didn't you Ryan? Yeah I mean this is one of the first players that uh, you hear about when you look at this era Yeah. Um, and certainly if you go over to Green Bay you can go on this um, and I can't think what they call it now but you go on a walk and you can see like shrines and statues devoted to each of, of these of these players. And go to Johnny Blood McNally's. I've been next to it, had my picture by it. Um, and he, he really is one of the true greats. But he, he's uh, one of our first players that, that straight away played both sides of the ball. Had um, great speed, known for his, his ridiculously good tackling. He was a real hard man of football. Um, and he played for five different teams in total. But he certainly uh, esteemed that he spent his best years with the Packers. Yeah, and I mean, looking at this guy, the guy was mental, right? He was a typical Irishman. He just, the, the guy was crazy. First off, uh, as you alluded to his name there, his name was uh, John McNally, but they call him Blood McNally. And the story behind that is amazing enough. So, um, again, what I find interesting about this guy as well is, like you said, right, he was so accomplished, but he, he didn't play high school sports, uh, but he earned letters uh, in across football, baseball, basketball, track when he went to university. Uh, in Minnesota so then he transferred to Notre Dame but I think the story goes that he was kicked out but what he wanted to do was he wanted to get into the semi-pro and pro game so he went around uh, you know like a, a vagabond to all these different pro teams to try to get a place but he didn't want to use his real name because he didn't want to get caught out because he still he kept that dream of playing for Notre Dame um, so he couldn't use his full name in case they found out, you know, because Notre Dame was amateur. And like we, we heard about the Packers on our first part of this series, they were nearly thrown out of the league for playing ineligible players and all that sort of stuff. So the story goes that McNally, a typical uh, rogue, you know, James Dean style character, he had a mate and the two of the boys, Ralph, Ralph Hansen was his name. So Ralph Hansen and himself uh, jumped on his motorbike and was going around to all these teams. So the uh, story goes, he was going by a billboard sign for a movie called Blood and Sand. And he said, right, that's grand. I'm going to be Blood McNally. So, and that's how he got the name. But Ryan, from looking at this guy, I couldn't get past his antics. I couldn't get past his crazy stuff that he did off the field. Whereas I know you've looked at his sort of very on the field. But this guy, like, first off, on the field, if you want to talk about that, he played an entire game with a collapsed kidney. So, 
again if you want to talk about tough this guy was tough and then uh in which we're going to get on to uh coming up is 1932 um or 1931 sorry where they won the championship um he was on a train going to new york and uh, now this sounds pretty strange but they had a sort of a what do you call that sort of a you know a towel you know where you whip each other with towels that the boys all the packers were on the train whipping each other with towels this big towel fight broke out but he annoyed uh, lavi dilweg who was playing for the packers a big big character annoyed him so much that dilweg said right i'm getting you and chased him down the train mcnally legged it all the way down to the the end platform saw he had nowhere to go he got outside the moving train climbed on top of it walked across all of cars all the way to where the engine compartment is and stayed at the engine compartment for the rest of the journey because he was scared that lavi was going to kill him <laughs> mental and then another thing that this guy used to do was is uh he was a real ladies man if you look at the guy uh you know a real ladies man good looking chap uh he, he used to stay at these hotels and he was famous for climbing down the front of the hotel to women at below and singing the song galway bay i mean you know just a complete uh head case which which is brilliant he is one of the guys that when you look at him there's as many stories about his off the field antics uh, as there is about his, his achievements on the field he, he really he would have been I guess one of those kind of people that you'd love to have him on the team you'd have loved to have him about until he turns on you or he, or he gets on your nerves and then and then you're going to hate the guy Exactly. but he certainly seems like an incredible character yeah he's unbelievable I mean you know he's the type of chap who uh, he was so unpredictable even his wife used to say about him that you know this guy uh, what, what was it and actually if you ever see the movie Le- uh, Leatherheads George Clooney's character is based on him Dodge Connolly is actually based yeah. on Blood McNally but I mean his his wife said about him uh, when he died it was, it was a phrase something like you know he always did the expected things in a very unexpected way you know because he was always a bit strange and he ended up joining the army actually um, after Pearl Harbor so again, an honourable guy and a brave guy uh, to to a fault. Um, but again, to get back to sort of the the run through the years. Uh, so 1930, they win the the championships, the second, the three, and again 1931, they three peat. So they beat the Portsmouth Spartans, uh, and that's actually you know the phrase "go pack go." This this is where this is born. So Ryan, you were over in uh, Green Bay watching a game. Did you remember them playing a song called? Um, Go Pack Go. Well, the, the the proper name of Go You Packers Go. Did they play that at the very start of the game? Yeah, uh, yeah. I can't remember when, but when they played it. But yeah, it certainly played. Um, it's it's this. I think what do they call it? Is it a war song or, or or something like that? You call it? Yeah, it's you know they play it after the introductions, um, before the national anthem comes on. But yeah, that that and it's it's a fun fact. So that that was actually written in 1931. So after they repeated, um. A guy called Eric Carroll, he wrote it, and it's been going since then. And again, if you listen to the original lyrics of the song, he talks about singing about you boys in blue and yellow. So all of the purists out there who go mental every time we release a picture, you know, with an alternate jersey because, you know, some uh, guy releases it online going, oh, here's a concept jersey. And they go, oh, you can't get away from the green and gold, green and gold forever. Uh, the black, the Packers originally, and we can do another podcast on uniforms alone. But they were blue and yellow, um, and that's in the actual original song. So look it up. But a funny story actually from 1931 for me, and again I won't uh, wear the ear off people here, is that uh, there was a divorce case in Green Bay that was, and at the center point of the divorce case was being a Green Bay Packers fan. 
believe it or not, right? So to all of those, uh, it, I doubt there's any women listening who's, who they can't stand when their husbands keep going on about it. Ryan, I know your missus and my missus probably feel this way. But there was a court case that came up and she wanted a divorce. Her name was Daisy Goldstein. And she was granted her divorce from her husband, Hyman Goldstein. And the reason was, is because he was such an avid Packers fan. He used to travel around the country and follow the team, right? And she was sick of being left alone. And the, and the, the phrase in court that was brought up was, is that his support of the Packers to her was, was termed cruel and inhumane to her. His support of the Packers. Now, I'm sure your missus on, my missus now would say, do you know what? It actually is pretty cruel and inhumane. You, you go off and disappear to do podcasts. You disappear to, to manage the groups and all this type of stuff. She got divorced from him. And as he was a big business owner, so he's a rich guy. So as part of the divorce, he had to give her 200... Now, this is back in 1931, remember? $200 a month permanent alimony, 1,300 wow. quid, and she got custody of his two kids. It's a lot to give away. It would have been far easier to just take her with him. <laughs> but isn't that... Like, because of the Packers, some guy lost uh, custody of his children. A bit mental. Uh, maybe it's maybe it not because of the Packers, but because she was unreasonable yeah she could have been a bears fan i mean i don't think i don't know if anyone's researched this properly i don't know i know if she was here now i would keep my mouth shut and agree <laughs> she sounds like a scary lady oh yeah she'll take everything you have but that brings us right then to uh, 1932 um and this is where we see arnie herber uh you know join as part of the packers again another really interesting guy um but this this is a year that's odd because the packers should have went for a fourth time uh, of a championship but this is where it gets kind of weird because back then a tie nowadays means that you get half a win back then a tie didn't count for anything so the packers that season actually went 10 3 and 1 and the closest team to them uh, were the bears and the spartans who got 6 1 and then a bunch of ties so they'd only won six games but because the bears and the spartans had beaten the packers uh, the, that counted more than the Packers win so the Packers were 10 and 3 these teams were 6 and 1 so if you add up their sort of win percentage it's actually higher than the Packers even though they won less because ties don't matter for anything uh, so the Packers were actually eliminated and they should have been nowadays they would have gone 4 in a row but back then uh, they lost and funnily enough they played the Spartans and if the Packers had won the, if the Packers had won the Bears uh, I, I think would have won there was some odd situation but it all washed out anyway that the Bears ended up winning that season, even though they had a, a you know a lower score than the Packers. But you looked into this guy, Ron, didn't you? Uh, Arnie Herber, who was the quarterback for the Packers at the time, another kind of interesting character. Yeah, and again, when when you look back at the old photos, I love some of the staged quarterback poses that you see him in in these pictures. And you know, it's like the guy. I think we're meant to believe, you know, he's just about to throw a pass or he's oh, just yeah. about to hand the ball. Action and it's pulse. and they're brilliantly staged. They're fantastic. Um, but yeah, certainly. He, he his very first pass. Um, he was a twenty-year-old rookie when he came into the team, and his very first pass was for a touchdown. I mean, that's that's a pretty good way to start. Better than um, Brett <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, similar. Um, led the NFL in passing three times in his career, and he amassed over eight thousand yards and threw eighty-one touchdowns. Now you got to remember, this is in a period where throwing the ball was definitely secondary to running. Yeah. And quite and quite overly biased towards the run game, um, not like it is nowadays where nobody's using running backs or you know, it's it's it was very different back then. So to to have those sort of numbers and that amount of touchdowns really was quite something. Yeah, and what struck me about this guy as well was he was interested in the sense that he got a job uh, at the Packers because he was in Green Bay and he worked uh, in the clubhouse as a handyman, 
and Curly Lambeau gave him a tryout and that's how he ended up joining the team so again it's it's you know the Packers history is peppered with stories of almost stories you know and this guy could have almost been nothing he was just a handyman and you think to get that chance and then go on to play for what was it 10 seasons that he played yeah I think he was there in 1930 I started a bit a couple of years on maybe and then and finished his career in 1940 Uh, and probably was a guy and, and like you just said you know and he gets picked up from a job like that yeah, and an interesting guy, I think, Ryan, as well, because how his career ended was uh, was pretty crazy. Now, I know we're going to talk a little bit later in the podcast about the guy who took over, which was uh, Cecil Isbell. But this Arnie Herber, there was a story about Arnie Herber liked a drink, you know, he liked an El Can, and on top of that, he liked his food. So Lambo had to write into his contract that he couldn't go over 200 pounds. If he did, he was going to get cut. Now, later in his career, as you said, he had a long career. So at the end, he was slowing down. And I, I've read reports that, that uh, they, you know, probably unfairly described him as lead-footed because he was so slow. But the story actually goes to why he got cut was, is uh, Curly Lambeau, again, as we discussed in the first podcast, cocky guy, prime time, good with the ladies. So uh, needless to say, he, he'd been married a couple of times. So it turned out that uh, Curly Lambeau's second wife came back into town and she was going to try to get residency because, you know, she wanted child support from Curly Lambeau. Now, he didn't want this. He was like, I'm not having it. And he went around to all the hotels in Green Bay and said to them, do not, under any circumstances, put up my wife in any of your establishments because then she's going to get residency and then she's entitled to child support. Don't do it. But it turned out that the Herbers had a, re- had a hotel and they let her stay. So Curly Lambeau uh, went to the Herbers and said, kick her out. They said no. And lo and behold, Arnie Herber himself was cut from the team. So again, it's a rumor. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> you know, no smoke without fire. That's a crazy story. That's a brilliant story. Yeah, and I mean that. I mean that's what we're finding that with these stories. That there's all, you know, there's always some crazy characters in this 1932 season that we're actually talking about, where the Packers lost out to some random story. Uh, they pledged at the very end of the season to go to Hawaii to play a game, and of course, front and center in the whole Hawaii story, guess who? Blood McNally. So they went off on this ship called the SS Mariposa uh, to go to Hawaii, and weird, they they pledged to play a game on Christmas Day and New Year's Day. So again. Uh, probably not that popular well I thought probably not that popular with the wives of the players but let's face it it's Hawaii I mean Ryan would your missus if you said to her I have to work on Christmas Day but it's in Honolulu would you be like yeah that's fine again only if she come with me <laughs> yeah don't be too happy being left at home but again yeah. they, went, they went off to Hawaii to play this game and Blood McNally in his Irish stupor decides he's going to do chin ups which is fine but he's going to do it on the flagpole of the ship so he goes and climbs out onto the flagpole of the ship to do chin-ups. You know, a typical Irish man with a dare. But he gets stuck and he has to be rescued by the rest of the team. Like, this is the type of guy Blood McNally was. Needless to say, he was let go the following season. He went off to the Pirates then. But, uh, you know, to have a guy like that, to have a distraction like that on your team, probably isn't the best. No, but again, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how you'd feel unless you're there sat next to him on that train or on that boat or in that training facility with that guy but he, he must have been a great laugh oh he sounds like the best crack he sounds like Max McGee of the 60s you know if you read Jerry Kramer's <laughs> book Instant Replay I mean yeah. J- Max McGee is always at some crazy stuff like 
I wonder who are the guys that go into the Green Bay this year who's going to be the Johnny Blood of the trip. Somebody, <laughs> somebody's got to do something crazy. Oh, we're going to have to bring a T-shirt with the word blood on it. And anyone who sort of acts up and comes in at seven in the morning, you know, with lipstick stained <laughs> and, you know, two kids at home and a wife, one of the wiser has to get the blood T-shirt. So any female listeners, if your husband comes home or you've seen any pictures of him with the blood T-shirt on, you know, just start filing divorce proceedings straight away. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was a weird thing, you know, after the 32 season, because uh, the Spartans and the Bears, uh, the way the scenario worked out, it was the first playoff game that the NFL had actually seen and the Bears bet the Spartans in the end uh, and won. The NFL saw this as, like, it was so popular because it was a, it was kind of the first knockout stage of the NFL. So 1932 is when they start bringing back, uh, you know, different sort of rules to the game to try and make it a bit more sexy, for want of a better word. So they moved the goalpost then uh, back to where the goal line is, um, which is weird because... Uh, they'd move it there and I think it was it's probably in the 70s I think it was 1974 that they moved the goalpost back out again so it was from 1932 till 1974 odd that they had the goalpost a little bit forward and as well as that before this period you had to drop back at least five yards from the line of scrimmage before you can throw a pass and that was done away with and that was done away with because of a guy called uh, Bronco Nagurski have you heard of this guy Ryan? Yeah, I've heard the name. Was he? Was he Chicago? He was. One yeah. Of Chicago teams. Yeah. And everyone, give yourself an education and just look up Bronco Nagurski on YouTube, and it'll bring you to a few plays of his. The guy was frightening. He still has the biggest ring size, championship ring size of any NFL player, and he just doesn't look human, Ryan. If you look at this guy, he looks like the Incredible Hulk. He, he looks like you know an adult playing amongst children he's he was huge but they changed the rule because and it was called the bronco nagurski rule um, and this guy was a beast um, but what happened was is in that actual playoff game uh, he got the ball thrown to him by the quarterback uh carl brumbach and instead of him running like a running back now he could have done it because he, like he was like beast mode multiplied by a thousand he could have ran it but he didn't he stopped at the line of scrimmage and uh threw the ball to red grange who himself was incredibly famous so they were given out the spartans give out saying nagurski didn't drop back for the five yards but they let the touchdown stand in the end but to give you an example of what a scary guy this Nagurski guy was and how funny it was is that uh, in a game against the Packers, uh, the Packers had a player called Cal Hubbard and he turned around and they were going to do uh, you know, a punt return or a kick return. It was one or the other. And Cal Hubbard said to Red Grange, listen, Red, I'm not going to try block the kick, but in return, you don't block me because I want to get after um, Nagurski. So Red was thinking to himself, happy days, I get the ball down the field, that's not a problem on me, and let him tackle Nagurski. Now look at, even now if you look at this guy, right, Cal Hubbard thinks brilliant. He legs it up to tackle uh, Nagurski and just bounces off him like a pinball. And he gets up off the ground slowly and turns to Grange and says to him, hey Red, don't do me any more favours. And I just, I love that story that he was <laughs> done a favour and still got destroyed like <laughs> and Nagurski as well and I know this is a Packers podcast but you know these are people from the t- from back in the day Nagurski himself was so tough he, w- he was the child of U- uh, Ukrainian immigrants but the story goes and again it's sort of paraphrasing uh, from what I remember is that uh, he when he went into a tackle once and this was an old legend he ran over like five players and bounced off loads of players got into the end zone fell over and smacked into the wall i think he was playing the giants and he broke a hole or or a sort of crack in the wall of the stadium (laughs) and he came back to the line of scrimmage and he said jesus that last lad hit me pretty hard (laughs) talking about the goddamn wall like it's just the guy was tough as old boots 
Yeah, I've just read something on here. It says in today's game, he'd probably be a linebacker. Oh, yeah, he was insane. Absolutely <laughs> insane. And I think they did play him. And again, he retired from the game. Um, and then they brought him back six years later. And he, and he played. Now, again, he wasn't as effective. But he still led the uh, Bears. I think it was 1944 or something like that. Or 1943. Um, somewhere in that range, he led them to more championships. I mean, the guy was tough as old boots. But again, we see some interesting players for the Packers uh, come in again. We've... Uh, Clark Hinkle again in 1932, Ryan, as well, don't we? Like, he was, he was a big name. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, for a moment there, I thought we were going to start getting complaints. So I think I think he cut the Chicago talk off just at the right time. <laughs> <Fair> <laughs> enough. Um, yeah, so Clark Hinkle is, you know, a linebacker um, uh, part of his time when he's playing on the defensive side, and he's known for being a punishing tackler. But um, at fullback was where he, was, he sort of learned, he earned his status. You know, that's where he's sort of best known for. Um, at the time he retired, he had the most career yards for a fullback, which was 3,860. Yeah. Now, this is one of the guys I'm talking about. So he's playing linebacker, he's playing fullback. He also, for the Packers, kicked and punted. You know, So this guy just did everything he could to get paid and stay on the team, basically. And, uh, but by all accounts, he did all, all jobs very well. Yeah, which is insane to think that you know so many players did so many jobs but then did them at such a high level i mean it is a bit crazy i mean you see you've seen it sort of in modern day you have jj what is a defensive end now they're starting to bring him in at you know full back or running back or tight end whatever you yeah. know but it's 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 a play here and there you know and it's it's um you know if you look at julian edelman uh at the patriots and they've done it i think with wes welker when he was there that they would come in as an extra defensive back at times you know but Again, it's it's to play here and there. It's these guys are doing it. Like they're coming off the field quick, quick, you know, drink of water and back on the field again. Yeah. It's, it's quite something when you really think about it and the punishment that they must have taken. And that's why I think when you look at the stats, and we're going to get on to him later, and I know you're going to talk about him, Don Hudson. You know, a player like him who sort of redefined the positions is that, you know, each position, they played them well, but to a certain standard. But when they start specializing and having a player just at that position, uh, you know, they tend to do even better. Um, so that's 1932. 1933 was an interesting year for the NFL uh, because they started adopting their own rules. Up to this point, they were using the college rules, whereas now they've decided to, to use their own rules. Um, and that's what I was sort of saying. You know, the forward pass became legal from anywhere behind the scrimmage. It was only in 1933 that they had hash marks added um, to the pitch as well. So, and as well as that, by doing all these rule changes, the NFL went from, you know, it's, do you know where they say nowadays it's all it's a quarterback-driven league and it's all about passing? It was back then because in 1932, there was 8.2 yards per game, which was the lowest, I think, it was the third lowest or something in the NFL up to that point. So after the rule changes, it became increasingly better. You know, teams were scoring more points. Um, so that, that was 1933 and they also split it into two divisions then they saw the success of the playoff game and so they split the uh, NFL into two divisions and the Packers ended up in the Western Division when they did that the Packers didn't do too well so in 1933 they were third in the Western Division and similarly 1934 uh, they were third in the division as well but you know they nearly folded in 1934 so again this is another story about the Packers where uh, like we were saying about Arnie Herber, like we said in the last podcast about them nearly folding because of debt. In 1934, they nearly folded again because there was in a case in 1932 that a guy fell from... Uh, they were playing in the, the city stadium and he fell from the stands and sued the Packers. 
So he was looking for 20 grand, a lad by the name of Willie Bent. Um, and he did. He got 5,200 instead of the 20 grand he wanted. But the insurance company that covered the Packers at the time folded halfway through the court case, would you believe? So the Packers actually got stuck with the debt. So all of the business owners, again, around the area, wanting to keep the Packers in Green Bay, rallied around. And they did. Uh, it was the Green Bay Association of Commerce. And they had this uh, 10 grand fundraising campaign. Now, they actually raised 13 grand and the Packers were safe again. But I mean, it was touch and go there for a while, Ryan, because... Uh, even the Chicago newspapers and media at the time were saying that uh, 1933 was going to be the last season that the Packers were going to play in Green Bay. They were going to have to move to Milwaukee. If they don't do it in 1934, it was definite for 1935. Now, they had toyed with the idea and they had played a few games in Milwaukee because the stadium was bigger so they could get more people in and get more money. Uh, but they didn't end up folding in the end. But again, it's another case where the Packers had nearly had to pack it in. Yeah, I think that guy must have been drinking too much Miller. <laughs> probably his problem yeah I know but that's the thing isn't it crazy that someone can fall from the stands and you know sting you and 20 grand was an awful lot of money back then it's either that or it's another angry wife that's turned up at the game and said you're always at the Packers game and they pushed him straight <laughs> over straight again over the side of the stands. <laughs> I don't think it's been investigated enough right maybe she remarried yeah. and maybe we this need, was we the need guy. to look into this I think this, I think this one crazy woman's going around Green Bay ruining the lives of many people yeah. a serial killer just a, you yeah. know attracted the Packers fans but again you find an interesting guy you always send tend to find these guys with the weird names i love him I, I look the first thing i look out for is these guys with these these nicknames and who um, was floating around in 1933 well the guy joins the team and this is this is great and uh, charles buckets goldenberg <laughs> i mean you know charlie buckets he might i'm guessing that he just had huge hands and uh everything stuck but yeah in, he played for 13 seasons with the packers you know so he's a big name he's named to the um uh, 1930s all NFL team yeah. uh, and he plays from 33 to 45 and five of his seasons he's named to the, the first team all pro team so um, I've not got a great amount of information on this guy but with a name like that you've got to mention him oh yeah it's like what was the guy last uh, the last podcast Tubby or something Oh uh, yeah, Tubby. He's my yeah. He's my favorite guy in the twenties. <laughs> One of your heroes. Yeah. Which, uh, so that, that was nineteen thirty three, nineteen thirty four. Uh, thirty five then is a very important year for the Packers, uh, because they signed Don Hudson. Now Don Hudson, the NFL did some you know top one hundred players of all time, which is always a minefield because you're always going to pick someone. They're like, oh, I can't believe he didn't pick Bart Starr. Blah blah blah. So yeah, this, it's, this all, guy, it's almost impossible to get to yeah. get any anybody to agree, let alone everyone. Yeah. Yeah, and it's full of hipsters. You know, you can get guys who are like, "Oh, you never mentioned uh, George Boots, Mac Bootsy, and he played in 1940." You know, all this sort of stuff. And I'm thinking, yeah, dude, no one's ever heard of him. Um, yeah, I'm going to start looking into that guy. That's another great name. <laughs> Boots McBootsy. Boots McBootsy. Yeah. Well, That's he... what we should call Mason Crosby. <laughs> we, should, we should have Mason Boots McBootsy. Yeah, the, the top scorer of the Packers and he suddenly gets the nickname in 2016 is Boots McBooty I don't think he's going to enjoy that legacy uh, somewhere let's or put it to him Some, somebody who knows him and listens in or somebody tweet him and say look time you had a nickname yeah well let me just drop it you know I'm prime time you know how I roll I've uh, his number I can just give him a text he's not going to get back and he's probably going to block me and change his number but I can still do it you know I saw him outside Green Bay Stadium I'd just been in the pro shop and uh I think uh, there was a couple of people with us. I think it was Charlotte and Dave and, and a few of the guys. And they went, I think that's Mason Crosby over there. And I went, what, just sat outside the pro shop in his car? No, no it won't be. Anyway, had a little wonder down, looked across. Yep, Mason Crosby sat there, give him the nod, nods back. I'm thinking, oh, uh, do I go over and ask him to sign something? Uh, 
And just as I try and make that decision, I think it must be his wife comes out, gets in the car, and off he goes. And I was like, no, I missed my chance. And where, but, where did she come out of? Was she in buying milk in a shop, or was she in the pro oh, yeah, shop buying nice and cosy jerseys? Just in the shop, yeah, buying, buying stuff in the pro store. So. <laughs> Bringing it home, getting it to sign it and selling it on eBay. Yeah, do it. But, uh, yeah, so he's... Um, He's an interesting guy, is Don Hudson. So he joins the Packers in 1935. Now, to give people sort of a flavor of what it was like back then, again, there was no NFL draft. So if you liked the player, you could try to go ahead and sign him, and that's exactly what the Packers did. What did you dig up about, uh, you know, the all-wondrous Don well, Hudson? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's probably getting boring me saying it again, but again, this guy played both both sides of the ball. Yeah. Um, obviously, a lot of people are going to know this guy, and they're going to know him. Um, you know, his, his jersey was retired. It was, the, I think, the first jersey that was retired by the Packers. Yeah. Um, so people will know him because, of, you know, he's receiving yards. And he really did sort of change the game in terms of being that first big-time receiver. You know, he really was the the Megatron of his day or the Jerry Rice of his day, you know. And he put up huge, huge numbers. But what I didn't know until I started doing this was he actually also played safety. I mean, that's not a, an also position. This guy played safety and led the league in interceptions. So, you know, everybody knows about the receiver thing. And maybe maybe there's listeners out there going, yeah, of course, everyone knows he played safety. I'm just saying I didn't. And for him to play safety and lead, lead the league in interceptions as well as doing all the things he did um, was, was unreal. When he retired, um, and I think you, you may be going into a bit more into it, when he retired, he, he actually left the league with 18 different NFL records. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this is some player. Yeah, and I mean, he redefined the position because, again, uh, back then, as you said, people sort of played both sides of the ball. But this guy, he was spotted originally because he caught six passes for 164 yards in the Rose Bowl. And after that, when people saw him, everybody wanted him. Um, so the fun part about this guy is is that the Bears wanted him. So George Hallis went and wrote a letter to him. It was a two-page letter. And in the letter was just full of how it's a privilege to play for the Bears and all this type of stuff. And Hallis offered him £75 a game, which again was a lot of money back then. Uh, but Hudson said, nah. So he, he got courted by the Packers and the Brooklyn Dodgers. And the Packers offered him $300 a game. So whereas the Bears with a two-page letter about all this pomp and circumstance about how it was a privilege, the Packers said to you, yeah, you know, stuff that, $300 a game. Funny about Don Hudson, he signed both contracts. He signed the one for the Packers and he signed the one for the Brooklyn Dodgers and posted them at the same time. Crazy, right? So the rule then went that whoever got the letters first, and it's still, you know, I did a bit of law in college. So the rule still goes that uh, whichever you receive first in the post is legally binding. The Packers received theirs earlier in the day than the Dodgers did, the Brooklyn Dodgers, and they ended up being able to sign him first, which is insane that, again, he almost didn't end up a Packer, and he stuck his neck out and signed for the two of them. Uh, so he earned $300 a game, and nobody was earning that money. So there was an average of about 11 games back then. So he was earning nearly three and a half grand. And by the end of his career, and as you went through his stats there, the guy was insane. He was earning about 15 grand a year. So he jumped up from three and a half to about 15. But I mean, he was worth the money. He was, had 99 career touchdowns and that stood for 40 years. Uh, you know, I think it was actually a Seattle Seahawk then, uh, God forbid, uh, bet his record with 100 uh, career touchdowns. And um, his first touchdown was from Arnie Herber and it was an 83-yard pass. So it just goes to show you the caliber of this guy. And like you alluded to, Ryan, the NFL records that he held, held and still holds today uh, among them are the most consecutive seasons leading the league in pass receptions, uh, the most seasons leading the league in pass receptions with eight. I mean, and it goes on and on and on. So I, I think he still holds something like 
geez, it's something like 20 records still in the NFL today, which is insane to say that, as I said earlier in the podcast, that it's meant to be a passing league, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who was that Seahawks player? Was it B. Steve Largent or is it before then? Um, I can't remember, to be honest with you. Uh, we'll have to dig it out, but yeah. I... Yeah, I'm going to put a pound on it. Yeah? Yeah. We'll see if I win a pound. If I'm wrong, you get uh, next time I see you, I'll give you a pound. <laughs> I tell you, a pound's not worth a whole lot worth these days. Next yeah. to nothing. Yeah, you're better off with a euro. I'll yeah, give you a euro. Can you bet me a euro, Sam? So that's at least <laughs> seven of your Great British pounds. Yeah. Um. So then, 1936, the Packers become world champs once more with a 10-1-1 season. Mm-hmm. Um. So again, I mean, it's an interesting thing that you know they could reach these heights with a guy. Uh, like Arnie Herbert because he was a bit of an odd sort of guy right and now again I, I read an article about him that said he was handicapped by a certain thing because he had small fingers now I don't know whether that means he had abnormally small fingers or he just had small fingers for you know a guy but it, it was so odd that he held the ball and but he used to put his thumb on the laces and throw it uh, but he was incredibly accurate so they went and again and you'll notice that from this period on from when Don Hudson was signed um, the Packers, you know, they did pretty well. And that's mostly down to Don Hudson because he could outrun everybody. And his, as we said, you know, his records still stand uh, to this day. Um, so, again, that was, that was the whole story of Arnie. And, you know, he getting tossed out of the league because, you know, this guy comes in, Cecil Isbell. And he comes in in the, in the 1938 season full time. Uh, so, you know, not, not a lot happens really um, player-wise, you know, with sort of crazy players. But the, there was one guy and there was a special circumstance, wasn't there, Ryan, in 1936 that, as we said, 1935, Don Hudson was signed, no NFL draft, but the draft did come in in 1936. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we haven't spoke about the draft up to that point because, as I just said, the draft the draft is invented in 36. And I think, yeah. I, I forget the name now, but I did read... I think it was the Philadelphia Eagles uh, owner or president that decided there needed to be a draft-style system. And obviously up until this point, and as you heard earlier, you know, with the, the Dodgers and the Bears and the Packers and everyone trying to get Hudson and who can offer the most money, essentially at the time, the team that had the most amount of money to them, uh, available to them signed all the best players. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and and essentially... That that's that's what you had. So the basically the stronger teams got stronger, the bigger teams got bigger, and everyone else got left behind. And and some of those, like we've seen quite a lot of teams, haven't we, with sort of teams that don't exist today. Yeah. Um, and then you know a bit. I think there was an Akron team, and there's there's the team that you said from. Uh, I think you you mentioned them earlier. I can't think what it's called. Canton. Oh, the, the Spartans. The yeah, yeah, there's the yeah, Spartans, the Canton Bulldogs. They went to Cleveland and back to Canton. There's all these teams, and maybe maybe this is a, a direct reason those teams couldn't thrive. They maybe didn't. I, I don't know the reasons why they shut down. I'm just guessing. You know, this could have caused teams to to, to sim- simply not exist because they couldn't get the best players. So this guy at the Eagles um, suggests that, and he later goes on to be the the commissioner of the league. He suggests a draft style system, and that was in '36, the first year. Um, Green Bay's very very first uh, pick in that draft is a player called Ross Letlow. Yeah. Um, and he's, you know, obviously has that fame for being the first pick. He was an all-pro player in 1938, and he played uh, the four NFL championship games, including the two victories in 36 and 39. So he's a he's quite a main player. And if you think at the time, first draft, he's our first ever pick. He wins two NFL championships with the team. Um, that's a pretty good pick. Uh, you know, that had a big contribution to the team. 
and obviously we'll always go down in history as being the first ever pick of the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, which is really interesting because that, you know, like we discussed on the last podcast, everybody wants to know who threw the first touchdown, who, you know, who scored the first touchdown, who ran for the first touchdown. And that's another, like, you know, just a priceless fact about who was the first draft pick. And again, like you said, I mean, he was the first draft pick and he was he was incredibly successful. So that's brilliant to see. And, and it's brilliant that the uh, Philadelphia Eagles, again, uh, had suggested that because they were newbies to the league as well. Like, as the Packers have been winning championships um in and out throughout the years i mean the eagles only came on as an expansion team in 1933 so it was a brave move by them and it made sense that it was them who suggested it because they were new to the league and like you were saying if it was the case that they were going to be new and they were going to struggle because they can't attract the best players you know where the packers already had a history at that stage you know it makes a whole lot of sense yeah sure i mean another another player at that time as well um just this isn't an interesting story um and he was with the Packers between 35 and 37. And then in, he came back and returned to the team in 40 to 41. And that's a player called George Svensson. Jesus, so three um, years out of the game. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you can guess why, but it's actually a very different reason. So it's nothing to do with either of the wars that were going on during during these years. Uh, say either of the wars, but the war going on at those times. He didn't go and join the forces like a lot of players left the league at this time to go and join up with the forces. Yeah. Um, he leaves the team in 37 to go and coach high school football. Really, yeah? Yeah, and he becomes uh, he becomes a coach for this high school team, and he goes there for three years and does that job. And then um, basically he returns to the team in 1940 and plays another couple of seasons with the Packers. Yeah. Uh, he played centre, and he also played linebacker. So again, I know I'm just repeating myself every single time, but again, another player that played both sides of the ball. It seemed to be very much the norm in these days. Generally, the only players you don't hear of playing both sides are people like the quarterbacks because, you know, obviously you don't want to get the quarterbacks hurt. But, um, yeah, just an interesting story. And it, it, it maybe I'll, at some point I'll get a chance to look into it further and try and – I don't know if maybe maybe there was more money involved in him going and being a coach and that's why he did it or maybe he just felt that football wasn't for him at the time and then ended up missing it and wanting to return. But um, it's certainly an interesting story. It, you know what, and it's very topical of what we see with BJ Raji, you know, and when he left and said, oh, I'm going to take a year out, people thought, you cannot take a year out, but you're just after, you know, raising that example. Now, again, a different era, but this guy took three years out, and like we looked at Bronco Nagurski, he took four years to six years out and came back. Now, again, you know, whether he is as successful when you come back, I'd say undoubtedly not. But again, Ryan, I wonder if, now then, this is just me sort of thinking on the spot is, is I wonder with a coach like Curly Lambeau, does that drive you to sort of want to try coach yourself, you know? And is that why some of these players did it? Because he wasn't the only player to leave and then become a coach because like we're up to 1936 now 1937 they tied for second you know there's not a whole lot that goes on that year you know it's still very consistent but in 1938 we have the sort of emergence of Cecil Isbell now this guy he did the exact same he sort of cut his uh career short uh, let me just talk a small bit about him um because i know you were looking at this guy as well i mean this guy had touchdowns in 23 consecutive games he was holding some records that weren't broken until lynn dickey in 1983 you know he'd five touchdowns in one game in 1942 um he was cre- his longest pass was to you know you can only guess who don hudson which was a 92 yarder and he held the record now i don't know if this is actually a record you want to hold for the shortest pass in nfl history which was four inches now i don't know how they measured that i don't know who was out with the ruler at the time and again to don hudson he was everywhere obviously don hudson is either 92 yards away from you or he's four inches away from you when you need him to be and i think that record was broken someone had a two inch pass or something like that which to me would be a handoff but apparently it was a pass i remember it, 
we've got to remember Russell Wilson could have had a very short pass in that Super Bowl but <laughs> all he had to do was hand it off and he didn't even get the really short pass yeah and uh, he completed that pass to Malcolm Butler uh, who actually and played for the can, opposite team and you see that any single chance I can get to, to hit on the Seahawks I'll do it so I, I managed to <laughs> manage to get in there and just remind those Seahawks fans of that awesome decision that they made yeah because they destroyed Don Hudson's record of 99 touchdown receptions so yeah we're going to dump all over them in this podcast yeah, just bash them all the time but yeah so this, this guy anyway yeah, Cecil Isbell so yeah as you said about uh, your guy you know leaving and becoming a uh, coach uh, good old Georgie boy this is what happens with this guy so what he did was is he went off and he coached for his alma mater he was only 28 and he left the team in 1942 to coach in Purdue so some people thought that that was a wasted career they said that he would have been a hall of famer for sure because of all the records that we sort of spoke about um, uh, but one thing that his legacy apparently that he left in Purdue was is that he was attributable or attributed for turning YA Tittle one of the best quarterbacks and toughest guys in the league um, into the top flight passer which is kind of an interesting story and this is a guy sort of that sort of uh, you know you were interested in wasn't it Ryan? Yeah I mean he, he also he made he played for five seasons with the Packers and he was named to first or second all NFL team every year so that shows the level of performance and the level of consistency that he brought to the game. And it, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a shame that he only played those that amount of seasons. But I'm guessing if you think that, you know, players are dropping out today, they're worried about concussions or, or injuries or whatever. Um, very much back then, you have players that either play for a few years or you have players that are playing for, you know, 10, 15 years. And maybe even then there's players that are thinking, what's my future? You know, we got, we've already said, you know, player safety back then, there was none. It was, you know, the players no, there's no sort of hitting a vulnerable you know you know vulnerable receiver penalties there was no now you can't tackle the head you know the, the no horse collar I mean players just destroyed each other and they had very little padding and maybe there were some players that were actually thinking yeah. I've got to think what else there is and, and and I don't know I don't know the exact reasons for players stopping playing back then obviously and they may be written down somewhere they may be not but that would that would maybe just occur to me that some players thought what else is there yeah, and I mean, especially with this guy, because again, like we sort of said about, you know, Arnie Herber, when Curly Lambeau said to him, you know, you're gone, you're cut, because this, the rumor was, is that, you know, he his family uh, let in his second wife and all this sort of story. But that's one thing that apparently Cecil came out and said, is that he was in the locker room when Curly Lambeau came up to him and told him that Herber was cut. And he said that he just couldn't deal with that happening to him in the future. So he said that he just had to leave the pro game, which is crazy to think that, as you just alluded to, I mean, the guy was obviously top of his game, but he was so scared of that inevitable death of his NFL career that he said, right, I'm going to leave while I'm at the top of my game. You know, like like we've seen some of the top players here, you know, arguably Marshawn Lynch did it this year, left at the top of his game um, because he didn't want to, you know, go past it. Um, so that kind of brings us to the end, I think, Ryan, because in 1939, they became uh, world champions again. And the famous uh, Don Hudson, he was actually relieved of his defensive duties this year, uh, which again is credited with uh, elongating his career, making him go for another few years, because otherwise he was, you know, he was, as you said, he was brilliant on defense, but he was getting punished as well. So because uh, Curly said to him here, listen, um, I'm going to pull you off defensive duties. He was able to last another few years. And then in 1940, then they were second in the division. So still very much top of the league. And an interesting story from 1940 was is that there was a new league that was started and uh, Wisconsin actually had to share uh, the state with two, sort of not NFL teams, but two American football teams. And that was the Milwaukee Chiefs. Uh, so they started up in 1940. Now, they, they, the sort of rival league lasted until 1942 and the Milwaukee 
Chiefs were doing pretty well uh, but then as you alluded to it earlier there was the attack on Pearl Harbor which was the Second World War had really struck uh, the States as we know you know Second World War started back in the 30s but it really hit the States in the 40s with Pearl Harbor attack that's when they joined formally um, so as you said the league was completely drained the players so they didn't have the time to be able to bash on with this new league so the league sort of you know fell by the wayside in 1942 it was promised to come back and the Milwaukee Chiefs were going to come back but never happened so the Packers again could have had a run for their money if the two sports franchises had stayed there if one of them had got better than the other blah 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 but uh, it didn't happen and it folded so I think that brings us to the end then of the 1930 to 1940 podcast yeah, there's um, there's certainly like I said that this there was when some real superstar players during this era, and it was good fun looking it up and, and learning about it, and hopefully hopefully the guys that were listening uh, learned something new. Yeah, because now we've we've touched on two decades, so it's the beginning of the Packers up to 1930. Now 1930 to 1940. Hopefully people are enjoying the sort of cool little info that we're giving them. Um, and I think we should really end this podcast and bring it to the present day and just some sort of you know housekeeping, some stuff that's going on with the UK Packers, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, I just want to put it out there. We, we've some time ago now we teamed up with Under Armour, and we actually have got our official Under Armour gear on our website. If you go to ukpackers.co.uk and go to the shop, um, there's also on there something that that will go very good with all your uh, jerseys and so on. We've actually got the Green Bay Green Under Armour, which is quite difficult to get hold of. So get on there, get that. Uh, you will need them if you go to Green Bay. It does get cold. Uh, Definitely. So another thing we've got going on at the minute, and, and you'll have seen it yourself, is a signed um, signed Gilbert Brown mini helmet. And we're doing a competition over on Facebook where we're doing a Raz, um, where essentially you buy a £4 slot in that Raz, and then, or you can buy as many £4 slots as you want. And when it's full, we do a random draw um, live on Facebook, and whoever finishes top of that draw will win a signed helmet. Yeah, so guys, it's you know it's an opportunity to get yourself some absolute top-notch uh, Packers merch. So make sure you go over to our Facebook and get on there. So what you can do is you'll see a list of slots that you can have, as Ryan says, buy your slot, and Ryan is going to do the giveaway, and it's recorded live. And uh, Ryan, aren't the numbers of where people have picked or put into some type of randomizer program? And yeah, it's all done. Um, it's essentially it's a computerized name in the hat, but. Um... Obviously, with it being on the computer and with us doing it live, obviously there's no, you know, the computer is completely random. So it's it's, it's basically you can get something that's worth a lot of money for a four pound ticket. Um, and like I said, they they are great great products. I've got several different signed helmets and they look great on the shelf. You know, it really can get your collection started. So get over there. There's only there's only probably six or seven slots left. Um, so get over there and get on it. Uh, we. Yeah, we did. We did some one earlier in the year, didn't we? With some signed photos, a signed Sam Barrington photo and a signed uh, Amon Green photo, um, and that and they they've flown out. And I know the guys that got those absolutely love them. So yeah, and I mean, as you say, it's it's a way for you to get a really expensive piece of merch for a very small price. Um, and again, for, we did get a question on our Twitter to say, if you don't have Facebook, what can you do? That's no problem. What we can do is, is you know, you you go to our website and you sort of give the PayPal uh, the four quid. Is it class as a donation, Ryan, or how does it work on the site? Yeah, you can do it as a donation. If you go to the shop, do a donation. And basically a donation is a pound donation. So if you want to enter, just put in four pound, uh, four donations in, in, in your checkout. Um, and then obviously on the message on PayPal, say, you know, slot for whatever, and um, we can get you on there. 
Yeah. Um, and again, if you don't have Facebook, you can still do the donation on the side. We'll still have your name and then we'll give you a list. You can always direct messages. You can email us on ukpackers at live.co.uk. Uh, and again, you can always submit a form on the site to contact us as well. But again, hit us up on Twitter. Um, if you don't have Facebook, we'll give you the numbers that are available and you can pick which number you want when you make your donation. So if you don't have Facebook, don't worry about it. And the video will be live on Facebook. But again, we'll find some way you know, to get you the link to that. And again, it's all done above board it's a it's a computer randomizer um so again guys thanks for listening to the uk packers podcast this is the second in the edition of the history podcast go back and listen to the first so again from me at steedy the nfl on twitter and from my fellow co-founder of the uk packers the big man himself at ryan peacock nfl give us a follow on twitter and the group at uk packers but for now goodbye goodbye